You're listening to The Nosebag, a podcast about all things Northwestern past, present, and future. In each episode, we snack on some history tidbits, share laughs with a guest, and see what other food for thought the Packout Crate has for us. I'm Allie Burhow. And I'm Andy Burhow. Let's dig in. So, Allie, what is in today's nosebag? Well, aside from a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, we are talking about the unit system at Camp Norwester. And really, the unit system is its a fundamental building block or, or piece of, of camp. When people talk about the Norwester experience and what makes the Norwester experience unique, they often cite the unit system and how that's different yeah. than what a lot of camps might offer. From my own experience growing up, as a doing Boy Scout camps, we would show up as a troop, which was the kids that we met weekly with, and we brought our own old adult leaders, and we would come to camp, and we'd have our troop site, and we would all live there and then go off and do our various mm-hmm. activities. And while I didn't go to a camp like this, I do think of, I guess, outdoor school where you'd have a a cabin, you know, full yeah. of kids. They're usually a similar age. Yeah. And all live like together. In, like in the parent trap. Like in the parent trap. My first job at camp was a unit leader. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed immediately to the unit system. I think that's one of the best ways to really learn about how the unit system worked was to be the unit leader where we had, you know, 16 to 18 campers. But we went every act, almost every activity we did as a group. And I think that's where the, the uniqueness of the unit yeah. system rather than, oh, I'm going riding and I'm going off to the waterfront and I'm going here. You, know, you would all do that as a, as a group. Yeah. So scheduled activities were, are all attended as a unit. Um, so the people that you are spending your whole day with, you stay in the same place, you eat your meals together, you go to all of your active, almost all of your activities together. It's it's, I would say a kind of central component of how Camp Norwester works is the unit system. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. So now we're going to hear from Jill Steigerwald, who is the current assistant director of camp, um, and also was my unit leader when I was 12 and 13 as a vagabond and voyager on John's, um, I think in 2009 and 10. Um, So we're going to hear some of her thoughts on the Camp Norwestern unit system. A lot of great camps structure the living situation for their campers by age and gender, similarly to how we do it at Norwestern. Um, and what I love about the Norwester unit system is that living group is also the group that an individual camper will experience the program with, will go sailing with, will be on the ropes course with, will be, you know, doing a nature activity together as a group. And I really feel that that program experience with a peer group around you creates a unique safe and supportive place for individuals to discover themselves. Um, Going to camp and having your own schedule or ability to choose what you do 
win is is a great independence building opportunity and I think building independence and other interpersonal skills while feeling like you have a little hub of cheerleaders around you your unit mates your unit staff can be that much more reinforcing that uh, of the fact that you're heading and growing in the right direction so uh, being part of a group certainly presents challenges um, but those are also opportunities to grow yourself and to learn. In the Northwestern unit system, I feel like the individual is valued for who they are and what they give to the group, and then the group is also valued for what they give back to the individual, and it's pretty special. So I was doing a little research. Um, one of the things that I got to do years ago was interview Lucille Henderson who, with her husband, Frank, founded camp. Frank originally founded the camp uh, in 1935, but Lucille joined pretty quickly thereafter, and, and they ran the camp together. Uh, Richard Carter and I went and, and interviewed her. I think she was 89 years old at the time that we recorded this interview, and we were wondering about kind of the unit system and, and uh, how it got started, and I have a little clip here of just where those early foundations started. So we're gonna play that. He had uh, very much the East Coast system, the juniors, midders, and seniors, uh, three groups, more or less three age groups. But we, we broke it into the unit system, which had been, which was decidedly a Girl Scout uh, uh, system of running a camp. I had, had I had worked with uh, in the Girl Scouts Ida Smith, who was the director of the Girl Scouts when I was her assistant. I ran a unit too at that time. In fact, I did several years. Uh, was one peach of a lady. So you brought your Girl Scouting background with you and started introducing elements of it to the San Juan International camps. Would that be correct? I. You, you introduced elements of, of the Girl oh, Scouting yes. background? And of course, uh, Frank, too, uh, in Boy Scouting, I think that they probably had more divisions than this seniors and midders, and I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know that they had a real unit system. They, they had age groups, I think. So the, that was new to me. Uh, yeah. I had interviewed, but I, I didn't realize that, that the unit system was something that Lucille kind of had brought, and uh, I just thought that was part of camp's system with the start. So it's always fun in these nosebags to kind of look at the historical part, but certainly um, they ran a strong unit system. Originally it was just, you know, for boys, and then they added North Star for girls in 1942 or 43, uh, to and continue that, that unit system. Mm -hmm. And when the transition, when the Hendersons uh, retired and Jack and Jan Helsel took over, you would hear from people saying that that was one of the questions was, will they keep, preserve the unit system mm -hmm. or will they go back to or turn it to a more traditional, yeah. you know, you live in your group, but you go and seek your, activities individually based on your interest. Yeah. Um, so when you came to camp, 
in 81, 82. 82 was my first summer at camp. You were the Islander counselor, right? That That's correct. I was the Islander counselor with Andy Green, was the unit leader, and I was the assistant unit leader. Two guys named Andy in the entire camp, and they put us together. But yes, yeah. we were. I was a, an, a counselor, and, and that was a great way for me to learn about camp because coming in there, I had never really had no idea what the unit system or what camp. Mm-hmm. I, I knew what camp was, but I didn't really know one philosophy from another in terms of, you know, when you're yeah. 18, you're not really thinking in those terms. Like, no. I want to yeah. work outside, and I like working with kids. And you didn't know anybody. Did not know a soul. So it was all very new, but I was very pliable. It's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense, and that's yeah. good. And really got to experience the whole camp program through that unit system because you would, you know, of mm-hmm. course, travel with each group. You know, you'd travel yeah. with your, your unit and, and do things and go on overnights together and eat your meals together. And, you know, the yeah. vast majority of your activities were done as a group. So it was a great way to learn. I really did enjoy that uh, bonding experience of really getting to know. And so you got to know your group of campers really, really well. Yeah as opposed to maybe a program staff who would see more campers in different ways Mm -hmm. as they would come through their departments. Yeah. Now, for you, you coming to camp, what was was that like? What what did you think of the unit experience when you were coming? Um, Well, I, I mean, as you know, I had been at and around camp since I was an infant, so I you know, had experienced camp, but in a very different way than actually attending camp as a camper. Um, So when I was 11 and I went as a mariner first session, um, it was definitely challenging. I had never really been away from home for more than like a sleepover. So um, I think as we heard Jill say, you know, it's you kind of have this little group of people that support you and um, can kind of take you for your authentic self. So I think it was just a really different experience for me um, going and being by myself. I didn't have, you know, I think I had a one, one friend with me, um, but no family members, no parents or adults that I really knew that were going to be with me all the time. Um, yeah, so just kind of it, that learning independence as an 11-year-old. And then obviously I went, kept going back for, I think, five summers. I went back as a camper, and then this summer would have been my fifth summer working. So I obviously um, liked going <laughs> and was enjoying my experiences, so... Well, one thing you mentioned was you said, I, I went to camp first session. And, of course, anyone who's familiar with uh, camps program, very early on it got to where there were two four-week sessions primarily mm-hmm. uh, has been the standard for, for most of camp's history. And you said you went first session. And that was because they had a spot opening. At that. yeah. That's why you ended up first session as opposed to going second session. Mm-hmm. There was no other real reason but once you became a first session camper, 
mm-hmm. you stayed a first session camper. Yes, because I think for the most part, year after year, it was the same group of people in that unit. And so you make friends with those people and you remain in contact throughout the year and you wait for 11 months to come back and hang out with them all the time for a whole month. So um, I think with, I think every year, um, we maybe had one or two new people in the unit each year, but it was like the solid, like five or six, maybe seven campers that kept coming back year after year, and maybe someone would take a year off, but then come back later. Um, but yeah, so it was like the same group every every year, right. pretty much. Because it's pretty rare for, and there have been campers that were first session and switched to second session, or mm-hmm. second session to first session for whatever, but by and large, once first session or once a second session camper, that's where you stay because of those relationships. Yeah. Of that connection. And the community. And that community that is forged through the unit system. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to do our deep dive, you know, conversation mm-hmm. with Mike Putiatin. Yes. And Mike has a longtime camp supporter, and it's really a treat to get to talk to him. He's, he's a very deep thinker. <laughs> I, I always enjoy talking about because he really is very thoughtful about how he processes and, and considers things. And he was a unit staff for quite a few years at camp and a camper. So um, we're going to be able to chat with him and kind of see what his perspective on the unit system is all about. Hi, we have Mike Putiatin here with us today. And Mike, um, it's so glad to have you join us on the Nosebag. Well, Andy and Allie, thank you very, very much for uh, calling today and uh, allowing me to talk a little bit about something that I think is super important and uh, is a passion of mine. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we're super happy to have you here with us. So you have a long history with camp. I mean, you've been on the advisory board and the official board really since its inception, and and it's been a a long time. Can you tell us a little bit just how you first, what first brought you to Camp Norwester? (laughs) That happened in 1973. So that was uh, a long time ago now, you know, it doesn't feel as long as it really is to me. But in 1973, my grandmother, who lived on Shaw Island in the San Juan uh, for about 40 years, uh, she told my parents about Camp Norwester because she had had a friend uh, who was working there and told my parents about it. And my parents were anxious to get me out of the house for the summer mm-hmm. uh, when I was 10 years old, I think, in 73. And so they uh, said, do you want to go to camp? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. I like the San Juan. And uh you know, I'd been to my grandmother's place on show many times, so I knew the San Juan's a little bit that way. And so uh, they signed me up, and in 1973, second session, I was a pioneer for the first time. So that's how I found camp. So how many years did you um, go to camp, and then at what point did you start working at camp? Yeah, 
I was a camper from 1973 to 1979. Uh, two years as a pioneer, two years as uh, an islander, two years as a mountaineer, and one as uh, an Indian somewhere in there. And uh, then I started working in camp in 1980. And I worked from 80 to 86 as a staff member, pretty much as long as I could afford it. Uh, come about 1986, these things called student loans started to come due. <laughs> and I said, oh, sorry, I got to go make some money. But uh, but I was staffed from 80 to 86. Um, my very first year in 1980, I applied to be a dishwasher because I was 17. And I figured that was the only thing they would let me do. So I applied as a dishwasher and was accepted. And then about two weeks before camp started that year in 1980, Jack Helfel called me up and asked if I wanted to work in the craft shop instead because they were short a wood shop guy two weeks before camp. And <laughs> that was not a very difficult decision. I said, well, yeah, of course I want to do that. So uh, I worked in the wood shop uh, from 80 to 83, and then no, 80 to 82, I guess, 3, 80, 81, 82. And then 83 through 86, I was a mountaineer counselor. So I moved from uh, from the craft shop into uh, the counseling arena and absolutely loved that. So that was where it came out. As I've said before, the, the, the mountaineer unit leader is the best job in camp, and uh, wood shop guy is the second best job. <laughs> okay. unbiased unbiased <Yeah>. opinion <laughs> yeah a little biased but hey <laughs> we'll scratch the uh what's your favorite job question um oh good <laughs> there it is imagine you well that unit leader in general is definitely would be my favorite but because the only unit i ever did was four years as mountaineer counselor that was where uh that was where i sort of found my found my voice found my place all right, and we're going to come back to that unit leader experience, but maybe let's go back to 1973 as you came yeah. to camp. And if you can recall kind of what your impression of, of being in a unit and what that was like coming in to camp. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I still remember all of my unit leaders really well. And, you know, I think there are reasons for that. Um, but I do remember definitely my first year uh, as a pioneer unit leader and how uh, how much those two individuals um, really sort of shaped the experience of all of us young 10, 11, 12-year-olds who were running around in the pioneer unit. Um, we uh, we uh, did a lot of things. I remember just feeling like it was super busy and that everything was doing was super fun. So, I, you know, I... Uh, I felt like I moved into the camp experience pretty easily, um, partly because I had sort of um, I had some experiences being away from home before I was 10 years old. And so I uh, that part wasn't that difficult. Homesickness never even crossed my mind. Um, so that made some things easier. But also, um, I was just uh, floored by the level of sort of community. And I'll talk, certainly talk more about that as we move in. But that the, uh, the quality of the community that was created at camp was something I just never experienced before and just thought was great. So it, was a, it wasn't too difficult a transition. You know, the harder part, as I said, was sometimes that the next year I was a pioneer again and all of my friends moved up into the Indian unit and I stayed a pioneer. So it was sort of, uh, you know, I, I had to make new friends each year. 
but even then still the, the structure of the of the community and the unit structure made that pretty easy for me to do you know it was never one of those things where i would go and protest with the directors that i had to be moved up with my unit it's like oh okay i'll have a different set of friends this year and that'll be fine so maybe we should clarify kind of at this point when you talk about the indian unit um, yeah. that is one of the right. the camp names that that got changed and if you're familiar with camp on john's it's now called the foresters so um, when you think about these unit experiences, do there any from a camper that really stick out in your, in your memory? Do you mean uh, particular experiences or particular units? Or yeah, unit particular experiences or, or, or uh, yeah, unit experiences. I remember very distinctly uh, doing a work project with some of Dan Sachs' uh, units as a mountaineer. And how much fun those were and how much our unit actually asked to do work projects because they were always really fun to go out and build something or make something or do something that was productive to the community, but also was things that we hadn't done before, you know, um, things that probably they can't do now at camp, but things like uh, handing a mountaineer a chainsaw and asking them to cut up a tree. I had never done that before, but under the tutelage of the uh, project guy and Dan Sack, they let me run a chainsaw at age 15 that when something that just stuck in my head about how oh, wow that was a really an amazing experience so there were things like that the things that, that stand out were those sort of special and there are many many of them that i could go back to but i remember them distinctly because they shaped who i was and what i was thinking about at the time moving forward into now you're a staff member um what does it take to create a positive unit experience with a group of kids? Oh, Allie, that is an amazing question. And that really is, is the, the crux of the whole thing. You know, um, when I first became a Mountaineer counselor, my very first year, it really dawned on me about how important that role of the unit staff is um, and, and how important it is that the, the unit leaders, um, what their role at camp really is. Um, it took me a while to understand really what that job was, but I, I learned that that job of being a, a unit person is sort of the front line of doing what camp is intended to do. It's sort of its core mission, um, and that's played out in the unit. Um, you know, the job essentially is to hold space for some very important things to happen, and the biggest of those is the idea of intentional community. So in my head, really, the most important thing a unit leader does is to create that uh, that space for intentional community to take place. Um, you know, as a unit leader, you can't make the community, but you can create a space by which the group brings the community out. It creates that magic um, in a communal space, and it's the unit uh, folks' job to, to create a container, a holding space for those things to happen. So that sort of magic of, of community is really, to me, the, the most important uh, thing that I learned about being a unit person and, and goes into the idea of how what it takes to create a positive unit. And there are some sort of key component pieces to that that I learned and started to focus on. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to go into those? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's just really three or four core things that I think are most important as a unit person in holding space for uh, for this magic of intentional community to take place. Um, the first one I think is the most important is that uh, I came to call a context of hope. 
which um, it was a phrase that was borrowed from Outward Bound, but I realized that that's what camp had been doing for years before Outward Bound put a name on it. And uh, the idea is that uh, at camp, we create a context of hope where the idea is that we can, what we aspire to as humans um, is possible to be reached in the environment that we're creating. So it's an environment of possibility. Um, you know, every great unit I've seen and been part of at Norwester has this at its core. It's a shared feeling that I can learn, I can grow, I can be, um, and I can experience the aspirations I have for myself and I have for others. Um, so it's an essential part of all of the units that, uh, that I worked with, making sure that that context was there and that it was shared. Um, and maybe that context is something really simple as I want to learn to sail or, uh, you know, or I want to learn to make things in the craft shop. Or maybe it's uh, I want to experience the independence of an overnight and sleeping out under the stars and making my own food. Or maybe it's about making real, real deep friendship uh, and experiencing belonging. Whatever that context is, uh, the idea is that, oh, this is a place we've created a space here by which that can actually happen. Um, and for me, that's interesting because um, a lot of kids um, don't ever experience that. Like, um, you know, I remember it, as an elementary school kid being told by a lot of teachers, you can be anything you want to be. And I quickly realizing, even as young as fifth or sixth grade, that that really wasn't true. And that given the, the constraints and limitations of the structure of school and the structure of my community, there's no way I could be anything I wanted to be. And so, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, um, it kind of reminds me of that, um, there's a TED Talk by a guy named um, uh, Shane Corzan, who talked a little bit about bullying. But one of the things he said in there is that in school, they asked me to be what I wanted to be, but then told me what not to be. Uh, we were told we must somehow become what we're not, sacrificing who we are to inherit the masquerade of what we will be. Uh, uh, Shane goes on and says, I was told to accept the identity that others would give me. And this was completely true in most of my life at the time. I remember thinking, there's no way I can do whatever I want to be. I'm going to have to be what, what the school tells me I have to be or what my parents tell me I have to be or what society tells me I have to be. But this camp, I suddenly discovered, was a place that, 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 that didn't happen there. At camp, I really believed that I could be both accepted for who I was at the time and I could be nurtured towards what I aspired to be. You know, at camp, I believed it was true. I could be anything I wanted to be, whereas most of the rest of my life, I didn't. So this was that magic context of hope to me that really, um, that really brought the, the, the community feel together. It was like, oh, this is a place where I can really be who I am and aspire to what I want to be without being judged or pushed into being something that I'm not. Um, so that was, a, that was a, sort of the first key one that I always tried to work into in my units about how do we create that. Um, a second one, which is, goes almost without saying, is belonging. Um, the unit system is based on belonging. It's a place where individuals can shed pretense of inauthentic identity from their other parts of the world, and they can be accepted for the group for who they are, that they belong in that space. Um, you know, I was asked when I was like 13 by family friends why I kept going back to Norwester. And I realized at that point that camp was different than any other place I had in my life. Camp was just a different place. And I kind of tried to figure out, like, well, what, what is it about camp that's different? Why is that different? And I realized that it was this sense that at camp, I actually belonged 
And not only I belong, but my authentic self could be manifest in that belonging. That I could be my authentic self without fear or judgment or shame or guilt or any of those other common emotions that sort of are brought out, uh, you know, in adolescence. Um, it was kind of the, it, it's a little cliche, but it's kind of the embodiment of that idea of Ubuntu, the Southern African idea from the Bantu language, which is uh, I am because we are. At camp, it's the only place in my world that I felt that to be true. And when I became a unit leader, I strived really hard to sort of make that happen. Um, another one that I think is really essential and one that doesn't get as much airplay as I think it ought to is that camp was one of the first places where I felt like I could have an authentic kid-adult relationship. The adults at camp, my unit leaders and the other staff members that I interacted with, um, felt like they accepted me for who I was, and I didn't have to put a pretense on in my adult relationships of being anything other than I was. Um, and that, I think, is absolutely critical. I never felt like I was being judged by staff members or by my unit staff, but rather, you know, we were constantly, all of us, working to, to build this community and to do everything we could to make it as strong. And sometimes when we slipped up, we slipped up, but it wasn't like there was this huge judgment or shame or guilt or penalty about that. Um, it was simply that, that we're all in this together. And that was um, really important because uh, none of the other adult relationships in my upbringing from age, I don't know, 10 to 18 um, were that way. Almost all of my adult uh, relationships when I was a kid and growing up, the, uh, I always felt like the adults wanted something from me or expected something from me, and I never got that uh, at camp. Um, um, there's a, there's a short story by J.D. Salinger, uh, called Teddy comes in his nine stories book where, uh, a kid talks about the idea that his parents don't seem to love him unless they can just be changing him a little all the time. And I sort of felt that from a lot of adults, but never at camp. So it was this sort of magic world where adults were also just people trying to, uh, you know, to, to make their way in the world and to create you know, uh, positive experiences for everybody, and that I was just part of that, but I wasn't necessarily sort of a, a, a object to be manipulated like I felt most of the adults. You know, when I was growing up in high school, I felt most adults' job was simply to make my life harder. I never felt that with the adults at camp. So the idea being that it, this, this crucible space that we're creating as unit leaders is also one where we can model really authentic relationships between age groups across with adults and kids, even though sometimes the youth leaders aren't that much older than the kids. Um, nonetheless, it gives you a space to sort of say, okay, um, I, I can relate to people who are may have some authority in ways that are positive and not judgmental. So that was, that was key. And um, not to get too long-winded, but the last one I felt that was so central to the way I ran my unit um, was the idea of the I-to-we transformation. And that's the uh, really where the intentional community concept comes in, in a collaborative form. Um, as a camper, I was amazed at the things that we could do together as a unit, um, the things that we could pull off, the kinds of things that we could do and, and make work. And this required collaborative skills with everybody. We had to learn to work together because that's the design of it. And the crucible of the unit system is where we learn to do that. But the key in that, and when I was, I was a unit leader, when I first, when I started to see campers, 
stop talking about I want, I want to do, I'm going to do this, et cetera, to we should do this, we should work with that. I knew that I had attained that, that that language shift purely from I to we was essential. And suddenly they were thinking not about themselves, but they were thinking about the greater good of the collective. And that requires collaborative skills, but it also is sort of a big transformational experience. And, um, and I realized that I didn't have many I to we uh, experiences outside of camp. But that camp, really, that's what the unit was about. And it always took a little while in every unit to make that happen. But when you did finally make that, suddenly things got really awesome. Um, so that's, those are four big ideas, I think, to answer your question. And, of course, there's a lot more to it. Um, but that, that's a start to creating positive units. Well, that's an impressive uh, four things. I'd say you definitely gave me <laughs> well, some food for thought on You know, Andy, one of the things about it is that um, – you know, when I first started going to camp, it was like, oh, well, we're just, you know, I'm just going to have a good time. But realized that the way I was having a good time and what the good time meant was about being in community. And so once we made the shift to say, oh, it, intentional community is what we're doing here. And our activities, you know, sailing or, or you know, eating together in the lodge or uh, all of the different things we call programs are really just crucibles to make that intentional community happen. And so that the best experiences were always ones where it was clear that that was the intent, not necessarily the, you know, the successful Spinnaker run or whatever it happened to be, but it was about how are we doing this as a community. My next question would be just sort of how this, as you mentioned, you know, 1986 comes, it's time to, to pay the bills and, and yeah. move on. How your experience at camp and especially as a unit leader how has that influenced the choices you've made uh, since then? Mm. <laughs> you know, that's a that's one of those great questions of camp people because frequently it's answered in the very sort of straightforward and again perhaps a little bit clear. Camp made me who I am, but you know, uh, always people will preference that. But I know it sounds cliche, but it's true, and I'm sort of in that same boat that camp really had a greater influence on me than anything else in my life in terms of creating who I am and what I believe. Um, specifically, uh, it took me, um, you know, into the area of education and then into the area of leadership, both of those being central to what I, the things that I learned at camp and recognizing that education was sort of the best, best uh, structure or way to talk about building intentional community. Because I've always believed that learning happens most intensely in intentional communities like Norwestern or with some of those aspects that can't all be like Norwestern necessarily, but with the aspects that we talked about. And so I realized that, you know, as I got into teaching and got into sort of the, the nitty gritty of teaching, I never lost that bigger picture. Like, you know, I know that methods are important and I know that classroom management is important and I know that assessment is important in education. But those are all just all methodologies. Those are all like, like, like unit activities to get us to the real core of creating authentic relationships, collaborative engagement, and belonging and a sense of hope in my students. And so I recognized that, that education gave me a place where I could practice a lot of those skills and, and move that forward. And a lot of times in my head, I was thinking, how can I make my classroom a little bit more like camp? 
uh, you know, and whenever I did that intentionally, I always found that, that what happened, the engagement with students and the learning outcomes were always better. But again, I just always go back to the lessons that I learned at Northwestern about what's important when we're helping and folks to learn, grow, practice, and figure out what it means to be human. And again, Northwestern is not the only place these things happen. Uh, it's one of the best I've found, but it's certainly not the only place. It can happen other places as long as you have that sort of idea of, of creating intentional community for the purpose of learning, growing, practicing, experiencing. Um, so going into kind of a little bit more of the maybe abstract or third party, um, you have a child that you sent to camp. So what is what has it been like to observe these qualities in a good unit um, through the lens of watching your own child experience going to camp for many years? Oh, that's a wonderful question. That's a great thing. Yeah, Haley, uh, who uh, turns 21 in two weeks which absolutely floors me. I don't know how it ever got to that point, but there it is. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you just give them food and water, they get bigger. But nonetheless, um, you know, she's uh, she was also very much shaped by Norwester. And we had, my wife and I had no sort of preconceived notions that camp would work for Haley, uh, partly because she's a type 1 diabetic. We weren't sure if that would sort of get in the way of her camp experience. And, and we weren't sure if all of that was going to actually work. Um, we hoped it would, but it wasn't uh, the kind of thing that we were completely hanging our hat on. But after her first summer at Norwester, she was completely hooked. And I remember asking her sort of, why is it that you're hooked? And she said, it was because of my unit. It was because of the friends I made in there. And it was because of the fact that, you know, I was the only type 1 diabetic in camp and, and you know, one of the few that have been to camp. Um, but that never was an issue. It never came up. It, it never, I was never sort of set aside as being special or different because I was type one at Norwester. Whereas in the rest of my world, I am set aside as being different because of that in my school and that kind of thing. And so she said it was an amazing experience of just sort of uh, having a whole lot of friends who accepted me for who I was. And to hear her say that even at a young age, is like, wow, you got it. It's your first year. This happens to you and you got it. And so I think that was definitely magic for both myself and my wife to say oh Haley experienced what that was and she went through you know seven years as a camper as well and it was eight years I think it was seven I can't, I can't remember something like that but anyway because of again her experience with that you know and I think uh in her own way she plays that out and now granted she is uh you know she's a uh, very different than me and that she's very much an introvert so she practices her uh, intentional community in a very different way. But yet, if you look underneath, she's doing the same thing. She's doing it with the lessons that she learned at camp about how to do that. You know, my, um, along that same line, uh, something I wanted just to, to point out was that when I was a kid at camp, my parents used to say that each year I did more growing up in my one month at camp than the other 11 months of the year. And I had talked to other camps who said, or campers who said, yeah, my parents used to say something similar to that. Um, and my parents, I clearly, well, not clearly, my parents, my assumption was my parents really didn't understand why that was. And it took me a little while to realize that it's about the unit. It's about the, the intentional community that we build is why I did that much growing up. But then from my perspective as a parent, to suddenly see exactly the same thing happen with Haley was extraordinary. You know, she would, uh, she would come back every year from camp 
more confident, more capable, more interested, and more than anything else, she was more uh, independent. Um, uh, you know, she did so much growing in that time. Uh, type one diabetes takes a lot of, it takes a team to manage a kid with type one. And every year she would come back from camp a little more independent about how she managed her diabetes, for example. But then I sort of recognized that that confidence and independence was actually playing out in all aspects of her life. And I realized that she was not getting that at school. She was not really getting that at home. She was getting that at camp. So, uh, you know, it's been extraordinary to me, the value that camp has given back. And part of the reason why I, you know, continue to feel like I owe a debt to camp continually and part of the reason why I try to serve in the camp the way I do is because that is priceless. That is absolutely magic that, that, that not only I can grow up at camp, but now I watch it happen for Haley. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we have some rapid-fire questions um, that just, Ooh, okay. you know, like, like inside the actor's theater. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Just like the... really, really quick ones that I have to answer fast. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like the no, first thing that comes to your mind. No deep thinking on this. <laughs> oh, that's so hard for me, Andrew. All right. <laughs> okay. So Andy's going to give you the questions and then you just, the first thing that comes to your mind is your answer. All right. Favorite unit to live in. Uh, Mountaineer unit, Prairie Peninsula. No question. Favorite overnight site? Uh, Watmo Head. No, uh, easy one. Uh, every year I schedule at least one overnight to Watmo and two if I could wrangle it. Favorite camp meal? Favorite camp meal? Uh, taco night. Definitely. First camp song that comes to your head? First camp song that I memorized from straight from all the way through is the one that comes, and that's Row Bullies Row. Ravens or bears? Bears, no question. I was a I was a bear and bear advisor during that time. <laughs> when you're on John's, where's your favorite spot to go to? Um, I think I love Chapel the most. Um, the Chapel Rock area up in there and the, the view both directions probably is it. Go to Trader Horn Candy. Go to Trader Horn Candy. I was never much of a candy guy. Uh, it might be red vines, but what I always ordered as a staff member was pickles and orange juice. Favorite time of day at camp? My favorite probably was uh, rest hour. And that was because it was a time of day when uh, we really could engage with uh, my unit one to one. We could just hang out in the TV and, and, and talk, or you know, do something in the unit, um, just the group of us. And it gave a, um, it was a, a great time just to hang out and, and connect. So do you want to try a trivia question? Oh, my God. A trivia question? All right, I'll try, but my trivia knowledge isn't really good. Okay. So earlier in the in this podcast, we heard from Lucille Henderson that, that Frank, when he originally, his first three groups were called juniors, midders, and seniors. Uh-huh. But when really? they got, that was the first, the first units were called that? Yes. Wow. Cool. But what 
were the names of the when they became the unit names? What were the if you can name try to name three of the four first boys units? Three of the four first well, that's really hard. You know, there's the lore around it being Tarzan. And I don't know if that was one of them or not. Um Tarzan's um I'm going to guess like Tarzan, Pioneers, and Mountaineers, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they got one right. I got one, yeah. <laughs> Mountaineers. Tarzans came a little bit later, but they were the cavemen. Ah. Cavemen, the, yes. <laughs> the Indians, the Islanders, and the Mountaineers. Wow. That's great. That's great trivia, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Michael. So we're going to let you go. Um, okay. But wow. Thank you it's... very much for inviting me to do this. And I just can't wait to hear what comes of it. Well, thank you so much. You have such insight into why the unit system is so important and so crucial to a lot of people's um, both upbringings and young adult life. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, happy to talk about it. And as I, as I said, Ali, there's really a lot more to it. This is mostly just off the cuff. But there it is. <laughs> Well, I think that just about concludes our nose bag. Yeah, join us next time when we'll take on another interesting topic and learn more about all things Norwester. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Nose Bag, Food for Thought. See you next time.